We're going to give you an insider's look at the big three bailout process. This is AutoLine. We've got a strong lineup of guests on today's show, all with the idea of giving you a good background about what Detroit's automakers are going to have to do over the next three months to meet Congress's mandate that they restructure their operations. Joining me today will be Congressman Thaddeus McCotter, the Republican representative from Michigan who really made a mark during these hearings with his precise logic and scathing commentary on the unequal treatment given the automakers versus the Wall Street firms, which got a lot more money with no questions asked. After that, I'll sit down with Bill Deal, the CEO of BBK, which specializes in business turnarounds. You're especially going to want to hear his remarks on the issues that are facing the supplier industry. And after that, I'll be joined by two of my colleagues, Jeff Bennett from Dow Jones and David Welch from Business Week. We've got a lot to talk about, so don't go away. We'll be back right after this. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Welcome to my discussion right now with Thaddeus McCotter, Republican Congressman from the 11th District. Great to have you here on AutoLine Detroit. Thanks for having me again. Uh, Congressman, uh, they got the bridge loan money or part of the bridge loan money. We know now that the hard bargaining really starts amongst GM and Chrysler and all their stakeholders. What's it going to take for them to come up with a plan that will satisfy Congress? What, what are some of the highlights that you see of what they've got to address? Well, I think there are parts of Congress that will never be satisfied, as we saw through the debate, short of a bankruptcy, which is not an option, remains not an option. I think that what they have to do is continue to show that they're willing to make good faith concessions, good faith efforts. Some of the targets were not mandated, but were actually targets. Some of those will have to at least see progress towards them. And the overall question of viability, as you know, is somewhat subjective, but it does also have an objective component. I think the stakeholders have to come together, show they understand what's going to happen in the absence of a plan, make concessions where appropriate and where they possibly can, and the federal partner will have to determine whether that progress shows that they are viable into the future. I think they will do it because we all know here that failure is not an option because too many people will be hurt. I was kind of surprised to see that President Bush did not name a car czar. What's, what's your read of that? Is he just kicking it into the Obama administration, or why do you think that he did not choose a car czar at this point? Well, I don't know that he's kicking it into the next administration. He's allowing the next administration the ability to step in relatively quickly, put its own imprint in the process. If President-elect Obama wants to have a car czar or some type of enhanced federal role in this, he can. President Bush, if he had been, I would argue, less responsible, would have tried to dictate a bankruptcy, would have tried to dictate certain things that would bind the hands of the Obama administration. But the process that we saw set up was roughly the process that was in place in the House bill, which both Republicans and Democrats had been comfortable with, obviously more Democrats are comfortable with, so it's actually a far better model 
to be passing into the next administration instead of just kicking a problem. I think they've allowed him to have a process which he could make his own very quickly. One of the big challenges I see for General Motors and Chrysler as they restructure are dealer franchise laws, which, as you're aware, are very much skewed in favor of dealers. So when senators or congressmen are telling the big three, hey, you got to cut way back on your dealers, that's really difficult to do. Uh, very expensive if you want to do it the right way, but they don't have the money to do that. How do you think they might get through this, this legal minefield of dealer franchise laws? Well, clearly dealers are one of the stakeholders that are going to have to be involved in this process. They understand that bankruptcy for the American Autos, GM, Chrysler, is certainly going to have an enormously detrimental impact upon them, if not essentially issue their death warrant. So we'll have to watch as the process goes on to see how the dealers think, what is equitable for them, because they are under the same onus of everybody else, that you cannot expect to come through this process without having some concessions, some pain inflicted upon yourself to make the overall industry survive. So I would be very interested to see not only them, but a lot of the suppliers as well and everyone else, because if anybody thinks that this process it's going to be less than painless for them. They're wrong. It's going to be very painful. Uh, the UAW obviously is going to have to make more concessions. I, I, I guess the union seems to be more willing to do that as long as everybody, all the shareholders, or I should say stakeholders, are in the room and everyone's willing to make compromises. Do you, do you think that's uh, something that, again, GM and Chrysler will be able to pull off? Well, I think the partnership that we've seen between GM, Chrysler, others, and the UAW has actually been a very good model to follow. The concessions that were made in the past and the way that the partnership was viewed was the union knows they cannot survive without the auto industry and the auto industry cannot really survive without the UAW. So what they have to do is come in and set the model of what responsible partners do when actually discussing the future viability of the auto industry and that could have a salutary effect upon the dealers, upon the suppliers. I think that many playing political games singled out the UAW or many on the other side might have singled out Mr. Wagner. I don't think that either one should be singled out. They've actually done far better in labor relations than a lot of other industries we have. And I think that they've already signaled they're willing to make concessions, but it's ridiculous to demand that they make those concessions or put them into law in a cloakroom off the Senate floor. Any negotiation, as we know from coming from this area, these are involved, these are complex, they're intense, there's leaks all over the place. but. It's going to be, I think, in the end, very successful because they've been through this, and this is nothing new for people like us to have watched. What do you think of the senators uh, from your party who didn't seem to want to take yes for an answer in anything getting done? They, they seem to really be bent on, as you just put it, forcing these car companies into a bankruptcy. Will they pose a problem in an Obama administration or... Uh, will the votes be there to help the auto industry? Well, it'll all depend on what the votes are. I thought it was a bit ridiculous for, for anybody in elected office today saying that their job was to lower the wages of other people as opposed to helping to raise the wages of their constituents. <laughs> but that's just me. In the final analysis, it'll depend on what they actually understand to be the interest not only of the auto industry, the American auto industry, but of the entire country. And as you and I agree, you need an American auto industry, you need a manufacturing base, domestic manufacturing base, especially in a time of war, which we find ourselves in. I find it odd that especially Southern senators seem to have lost the concept that America is a country, not merely an economy, and have no trouble uh, potentially driving the 
arsenal of democracy into bankrupt in a time of war. It's not the party I joined. Yeah. We're down to the last minute here. All of this hinges really on the car market coming back at some point. Uh, we don't know when that might be. Will Congress have the stomach to stick it out for as long as this takes to come back? I would think so because the human cost of failure is enormous to the federal taxpayer that some have lauded, I think, falsely in the sense that the bridge loan was actually appropriated money, as we've already known. And if the appropriated money didn't go to help the bridge loan to the auto industry, it was going to be spent somewhere else. It was already authorized and appropriated to do that. So there was no savings in voting against this. But if you voted against this and argued for bankruptcy, you were going to look at massive social costs and unemployment worker retraining for new foreclosure crisis. So you would not only have increased 100 I think Moody said $200 billion in increased taxpayer costs. You would have also had the foreclosure crisis go through the roof, and the credit market continue to be frozen and destabilized. So I've always viewed this as it's incredibly foolish to say that you're saving the taxpayers money when you voted against the auto industry and tried to put them in bankruptcy, when the reality was you were saddling taxpayers with $200 billion in new costs, you were hurting the credit market, and by the way, you were reducing the actual number of taxpayers who could help to pay that bill. Great point. And Thaddeus McCotter, thanks so much for coming in and explaining it just that way. No, thanks for having me. Joining me right now is Bill Deal, the CEO of BBK, a company that what, you're a business advisory firm is how you guys describe yourselves, but you're really experts in helping companies turn around. Absolutely. We are, our core competency has been manufacturing. We've grown up, obviously, automotive being a large piece of the uh, manufacturing environment, and we've been in the business for over 30 years working with companies to try and help our clients and also the supply base. Bill, you've seen all this discussion now uh, with the big three having gone to Congress, getting part of this bridge loan under the stipulation that they've got to restructure themselves, really come and show Congress that they're turning things around. What do you think are going to be the, the main elements of what GM and Chrysler have got to do here? Well, I think you have to start with the fact that GM and Chrysler and Ford have done a lot already. Right? They've gone a long way to move that restructuring. I think it's unfortunate that Congress didn't spend the time to really study up on what has actually happened and the opportunities and incentives that UAW has put on the table. But I think going forward, they need to restructure their balance sheet a little bit with the capital structure, as was provided. I think the UAW may need to step up and provide some additional incentives. But at the end of the day, I think if you look at what they've done, they've already come a long way. They need to get more competitive in a couple of areas. But when you look at wage rates, for example, they're already there. It's really on work rules and a couple of the legacy cost issues that uh, are really holding them back, and I think they're going to have to deal with those with the assistance of the government. Uh, in Congress, it came out in the hearings, uh, senators and congressmen alike uh, would love to see GM take, what is it, two-thirds of its debt and get rid of it. How do you do something like that? Well, I, I think what they're proposing is to try and convert some of the bonds to equity uh, to free up the leverage on their balance sheet, and, and I think that's doable, and I think uh, Rick Wagner has indicated that he believes that the accommodations are able to get there. Uh, if you look at a bankruptcy which 
we don't uh, believe is a, an option available, but under a, a bankruptcy, the bondholders would get nothing. So mm -hmm. uh, to be able to convert it to equity, I think, is definitely a possibility and probability that it will get done. And with creditors, what do you do? Just say, take less than what we owe you? Or again, do you pay them with equity? Well, I, I think if you look at, and even with the term that was out there of a managed bankruptcy, I think the big concern out in the marketplace today is the supply base. The supply base has been under a recession for a number of years because of what's been happening with their cost structure. All their raw materials are up, all their costs are up, their revenues are down. So even under the managed bankruptcy, I think the intent was to pay the suppliers 100 cents on the dollar because they can't perform without that. And I think that is critical to the stability of the auto industry, that the supply base not be damaged going forward. So uh, they're going to have to figure out how to deal with that. And I think that's part of the plan. I think that's always been uh, part of the plan as far as I'm concerned. How is the supply base doing? BBK came out with a, a study a year ago that said, whoa, these guys are on uh, shaky ground right here. Business conditions have only deteriorated since then. What, what's your outlook for the supply industry? Well, our belief is the supply base in our study last year based on 07 numbers said that basically 50% of the privately held supply base is financially distressed financially distressed being that in the next 12 months they could f they could demonstrate some level of distress uh, on their balance sheet and within their uh, financials. Uh, we believe that number's gone up significantly in 08. Nothing's gotten better. Volumes have gone down, costs haven't gone down, they've just continued to go up. So we believe a significant portion of the supply base, especially the privately held, and understanding that of the supply base, two-thirds of the supply base is privately held. So it's a major component of the automotive uh, supply base. And when you look at the supply base is integrated amongst all of the OEs, whether it be domestic or new domestic, uh, it's important that that supply base survive. You can't, nobody can guarantee volumes. Unfortunately, I think what we've got to do is get the credit markets opened so people can buy cars. Uh, and that'll solve a lot of the problems. But um, I think with the supply base, we've got a very fragile supply base. The OEMs know it, all of them do. We work very hard with them on their supply risk management process. Um, and they're gonna, we're gonna have to be very careful with that because volumes are going to be, especially with the shutdown, and when you see the first quarter releases, uh, production releases, it's gonna be very difficult for many of the suppliers to survive in this environment. The big three or the big two, certainly, GM and Chrysler are in front of Chrysler, uh, Congress because they can't go into the, the credit markets and borrow the money they need to get through. Uh, it's got to be the same issue with suppliers. Well, the suppliers actually, and especially the privately held suppliers, are actually in worse shape because they don't even have the options available to many of the large suppliers and the OEs. You know, they're looking for a traditional lender or financing. Most of those lenders have exited the auto space. So, you know, the good news is they could get a new program from GM, Ford, or Chrysler. The bad news is they can't find anybody to lend to them. So, again, I think when we look at what's happening in Washington, I think we've got to put more focus on how do you open up the credit markets so that the business can continue to move forward once volumes come back, and volumes only come back when the credit market comes back. We may be looking at a year or two before that happens. Can the supply base hold on that long? 
I think we will see significant disruption in the supply base. Now, remember, we were into a consolidation of the supply base for the last three or four years at least, right? So we are going to reduce the supply base. I think what the financial crisis has done is just accelerated that reduction in the supply base and is going to make it difficult for the OEs to manage to continue to produce vehicles that are demanded. Well, it's a very sober, sobering thought, but Bill Deal from BBK, thanks so much for coming in and giving us your outlook on this. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Joined right now by two of my journalist colleagues, David Welch from Business Week and Jeff Bennett from Dow Jones. Great to have you both here. Jeff, let me start with you. Uh, boy, when I look at what's going on here, especially with Chrysler, it doesn't look too good. What's your outlook for the company? I, the outlook for the company is still very much in question. I mean, they they did get part of the loan, and they're trying to make uh, some steps to to really cut down the cost and really focus on their product and that. But their products, the sales of their products, are so far down that you're just wondering who's going into their showrooms and who's buying. With all the incentives out there, with all the deals out there, what's pulling people into Chrysler? I just don't know. And then you've got all of on top of that, you all have you don't have a good sense of where they are financially. Financially. So I'm thinking of by mid-2009, if something doesn't happen with them, if they're not merged into somebody or bought by somebody or broken up, it's just how are these guys going to continue to survive? You just don't know. Uh, Dave, during the, the congressional hearings, uh, Bob Nardelli, the CEO of Chrysler, said, hey, all we need is $7 billion and we're home scot-free. Maybe not quite that word, but he said all we need is $7 billion. Do you believe that? Uh, I think maybe they need $7 billion to stay afloat until they find someone to buy the rest of the company. Uh, look, when the parent company, Cerberus Capital Management, says it's not a standalone company, we need to find a partner. They tried to sell it to GM last fall. They've talked to Renault Nissan. Uh, that, that sort of says it all, that they've got the internal books. They've got the future product plan. They see who's coming into the showrooms and who isn't and, and, and where their brands are weak. Uh, so they're sort of saying, hey, you know, white flag is up, we need somebody who's going to take over the company or be our white knight here. And uh, that tells me that uh, you know, they're, they're going to need more than $7 billion long term without a massive economic turnaround. Why would anybody come in and buy them right now? I mean, if I'm in, interested, if I'm interested, why don't I just sit on my hands? Because I know the longer I sit on my hands, the more the price is going to go down. Jeff, why would anybody buy them now? I don't think anyone will buy them now. I think what they'll do is wait on the sidelines, wait till the financial pressure is there to the breaking point where they either go into liquidation, go into bankruptcy, or the deal is such, the, or Cerberus gives them such a deal to take the company that they'll, they'll Oh, wait, I think the smart guys that are out there, the smart CEOs that are waiting are those that are will wait till it hits almost rock bottom before they come in and then walk away with a company that can do whatever they want to it. David, what's your sense of General Motors then? And, and by extension, Ford. I mean, here's an opportunity, isn't it, to get rid of all these legacy costs and really get these companies streamlined and, and potentially big money makers in the future if the car market comes back? Sure. And, you know, in that 2007 labor, labor agreement, they sort of, they set the, the, the uh, groundwork to do that. You know, they've, they've got a health care deal that'll offload all the health care liabilities to a union fund. They cut the starting wage for new hires to $14. But here, they can even address the current workers. Remember, the last agreement, current workers gave up almost nothing. Now they've got the cudgel of the federal government saying, okay, GM, you know, here's the initial cash to get you into February. And, you know, it's, it's $13.4 billion and they can get another four in February. 
Uh, and if they need more beyond that, and they will mm -hmm. uh, most likely, uh, the government says, look, the union cuts this, uh, you know, they get rid of the jobs bank, uh, they, they pay more for their health care, which cuts that liability. Uh, maybe they take a wage cut or whatever it is. They tell the creditors, look, you've got to take a two-thirds haircut on your bonds. Uh, you know, they cut all of that stuff out, which slashes interest payments, slashes health care costs. Uh, you know, and everybody has to sort of do these things, right? Because if GM doesn't get any more money and they go into bankruptcy, then the union, creditors, everybody loses a lot more. They stand to lose a lot more. So you've got the cudgel of the government saying, get it done. Yeah, but that's the hard part, isn't it, Jeff? I mean, I, I think we're going to look back and say, oh, yeah, getting the money out of the government was the easy part. The hard part now is getting everyone to agree to the concessions. Right. I mean, there is so much hard work ahead for all three of these automakers. I mean, everyone, that was, everyone who thought that, oh, getting the government funding was just, you know, that'll help them. No. They have to go now and work through their dealers. They have to go and work with the UAW. They have to go and work with their own people to try and, and make the cuts and the, and the changes they need to do. And we're talking about changes that they should have been making over the past 20 years. Now they want to try to get done in like six to seven months. It's just going to be crazy to see how these guys are going to pull off monumental tasks that should have been done a long time ago. Should have been done and everybody I think agrees with that. But how do you walk away from dealer franchise agreements? If you want to close down brands. How, how, how do you say to the union, hey, we're just going to wipe out the, the jobs bank without taking a major strike? Don't they need a car czar or somebody who's going to have the legal authority, not just the cudgel, as you talked about, Dave. Don't you need somebody who says, I'm making the law so that you can break your obligations without having to go Chapter 11? Yeah, and I, and I think they may have that. It, it sort of depends on how President-elect Obama structures this car czar position, but at a minimum, uh, if they keep the loan terms as Bush and the Treasury Department have set them up. Uh, not only do they not get any more money if they don't put forth a uh, satisfactory restructuring plan, they got to pay it back. The loans get called. Yeah, the and guys with no money have got to pay back the money they were just given because right. they have no money, Which and that's not going to work. Yeah, so you're basically adding more debt to companies that already have massive debt, and then you're saying pay it back now when they don't have any which would force them into bankruptcy, basically, is what would happen. And then I, I don't think there's any such thing as an orderly bankruptcy for General Motors. Uh, Look, we're going to have to wrap up this discussion right now. We're going to have to end this part of the show. I'm going to leave these cameras running, though. We're going to continue this discussion on the website at AutolineDetroit.tv. But David Welch from Business Week, Jeff Bennett from Dow Jones, thanks so much for being on this part of the broadcast. Sure. Thanks, Thank John. You. I hope you liked today's discussions, and like I said before, you can always find more at our website, www.autolinedetroit.tv. When we'll be looking at the North American Car and Truck of the Year Awards. We'll be talking about the finalists for those awards, and joining me for that discussion will be Natalie Neff from Auto Week Magazine and Paul Eisenstein from the Detroit Bureau. Well, that concludes today's show. Thanks for watching as we give you a front row seat as to what's going on in the automotive industry.